0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. A state where the housing market is so hot, the former governor just sold her house for twice what she paid for it. That's right, U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo's house is off the market. Her home on the east side of Providence sold for $1.1 million. This clears the way for the Secretary's move to an even more expensive housing market in the nation's capital. This week on the show, I'm joined by Speaker of the House Joe Shikarchi. Representative Shikarchi is wrapping up his first term in what many call the most powerful position in state government, leading the legislature through its first full session in the pandemic. I talk with the speaker about legalizing marijuana, providing driver's licenses for undocumented immigrants, and what to do about towns that resist affordable housing. I also ask the question that's on all of our minds. What's going to happen to the $160,000 worth of plexiglass put up in the State House as a COVID precaution? It keeps me up at night. My conversation with Speaker of the House, Joe Shikarchi, after a quick break. K. Joseph Shikarchi became Speaker of the Rhode Island House of Representatives in January 2021. He previously served as House Majority Leader and as Chairman of the House Labor Committee. He's been representing the residents of House District 23 in Warwick since first being elected in 2012. Speaker Shikarchi, thank you for joining us today on Rhode Island Report. It's my pleasure to be here. let me stop by saying I know that you and a lot of people in Rhode Island are saddened by the loss of John Marinotto. Uh He had quite a career, he, uh, serving as athletic director at Providence College, later the commissioner of the Big East Conference. For those who didn't know him, can you speak a bit about what he was like and and what a loss this is for the state? It's a
1: tremendous loss uh, for the state. But for me personally, I've known him for 50 years. He was one of my closest friends. He was an individual who just cherished uh, education and young people. He helped a lot of people throughout his career. He rose up through the ranks. Uh, There was some really great stories in the Boston Globe on his career. He worked as a uh, team manager for Dave Gavitt when he uh, started at Providence College under a scholarship. He worked his way up. Uh, he was the athletic director for over 10 years. And then he became the commissioner of the Big East, which was a huge position. But he was just the type of person who helped everybody. Anybody who needed help, you call John Marinatto; he was there for you, no matter what it was. And he leaves behind a, a legacy of uh, a reservoir, if you will,
0: of goodwill. Sorry for the loss of your friend. Thank you. The House uh, Finance Committee voted for a new state budget late last week's prime time up at the State House. Prime uh, time. One of the final and biggest tasks of the legislative session. It was your first session as Speaker of the House. So, how does it feel to be wrapping up your first session in leadership? Uh, I don't feel like I'm wrapping
1: up. I'm just getting busier and busier, <laughs> but it, it feels good because we have a strong sense of accomplishment. I think we've done more this year than I have ever done in any year, any single year since I've been in the General Assembly. We did uh, the Promise <clears throat> Program. We did minimum wage. We did nursing home staffing. We did the bill on climate. You know, we have a lot of other bills that are still pending. And of course, the budget was, uh, you know, it came out of committee. But it's the single most important thing that we do as a House of Representatives. Constitutionally, the budget starts in the House. We take that obligation very seriously. Uh, Chairman Marvin Abney and the entire finance committee spent hours and hours throughout this year. And it's a very difficult year with the pandemic, remote hearings, moving from the vets into the State House and, and back. Uh, they did a phenomenal job. It's a great budget. I'm extremely proud of the budget. I expect it to pass. Um, and I think that there's a little bit of uh, something for everybody there. And there are no tax increases of any, um, you know, long term nature or no
0: broad based tax increases at all. As it turned out, 2020 was a hell of a year to start this new role. Uh, how do you feel about the way the pandemic was handled within the workings of the chamber? And what were some of the unique challenges of uh, doing it in a pandemic? Well, uh, it was unique because when we, when we took over, uh, we clearly had members who were
1: afraid to come back into the chamber. We're very close chamber. There's not a lot of space. It certainly isn't six feet between members or three feet between members. So it was, and we had plexiglass in the beginning. So yeah,
0: I've got to ask you, what are you going to do with all that plexiglass? Is we, that 166,000 no. in, in plexiglass? Is
1: it going to be like a big salad bar? So I don't know what we're going to do with it. We, we have it right now, just in case we, the, you know, there is another variant of the pandemic comes back. We haven't disposed of it. I, you know, I'm open to ideas. I think we should donate it to restaurants myself. So there's been challenges. We, the biggest thing was we had to amend our rules, We didn't do any legislative work in the month of January, which was very unusual. And it made it even more compact because we did very little last year. In January, we had to have rules hearings and and we had to amend our rules to allow
0: remote voting, uh, remote hearings
1: and proxy voting.
0: Governor McKee proposed legalizing marijuana, recreational marijuana, earlier this year. The measure didn't make it into the final budget. You've noted that there are now various proposals in the House and the Senate, and the legislature might not address the issue uh, in, uh, until the fall. But cannabis will be legal in Connecticut by July 1st, and Massachusetts has legalized it. So can Rhode Island afford to wait when our neighbors are moving ahead?
1: Yes, Absolutely, we can and we should, because all the proposals are very divergent. And all the proposals I've seen, in my opinion, and I've only looked, scratched the surface of them, because there's so many of them. Really, you know, come from very strong advocates for either the cultivators or the um, dispensaries. I have to look at that and what's good for the state. If, if we're going to legalize recreational use of marijuana, we want to make sure the state gets its fair share.
0: What's the main issue that
1: needs to be ironed out before it? Uh, there's several issues, but number one, how much is the state of Rhode Island going to get? Who are we taxing? Some of the proposals I saw reduce the current dispensary fee from 500000 a year to 50000 Rhode Island would actually lose money under that proposal. I've seen some that require the cultivators to unionize. I've seen some that uh, make the home grow um, unlimited. I've seen some that uh, restrict cities and towns from uh, how many they can have. It's by population by liquor store. There there are about six or seven legitimate proposals and they're very divergent. There's a lot of areas we can look at. We have to look at social justice in terms of if we're going to legalize this, does that mean that people who are in prison and convicted for marijuana possession should be... uh, uh, have an automatic review of uh, possible expungement and and we're creating a whole new uh, industry here do we set aside one or two of these licenses for people in the minority community? So those are the issues that we need to look at regarding marijuana. But the chief most important issue is we're going to make sure
0: the state gets its fair share. And who should regulate it? Should it be the Department of Business regulation or should it be, as the Senate proposed, an independent cannabis control commission? That's one of the main
1: issues to be determined. Uh, the government is pretty strongly that he wants DBR to regulate it. The Senate's pretty strong. They want a cannabis commission to regulate it. I don't know if there's a combination of the two. I, I don't know that yet. Uh, this has been, as we talked about earlier, a very busy session. And um, we'll have to wait and see where, where everybody can come together. In the fall? In, in the fall. We
0: have a fall session. If we can't, then we won't. I think you come back when you have productive things to do. There was recently a press conference outside the State House where Governor McKee, Attorney General Narona, and other statewide office holders called for stricter gun regulation. The prior speaker, uh, Mattiello, had an A rating from the NRA. You had a D from the NRA. So I thought it was a C, C- minus. C minus A. Grading on the curve. So tell us which gun bills are, are likely to pass, would you like to see pass in the remaining days of this session? I don't know the answer to that. I
1: tell you that uh, but the majority of the members want to see some action on, on gun bills. I spoke to Marcia rangwell Vassar yesterday about them, and uh, I've been in contact with you know my whip, uh, Katie Kazarian, who's also sponsoring some of that. We're in consultation with the Senate. I mean, I, I think that's important that we work collaboratively on that issue. I think you'll see some action before the end of the session. I just don't know which ones you're going to see. But I want to pass good legislation that gets things done, not popular legislation just for the sake of being popular. I want it to make a difference.
0: no Secret, Rhode Island is facing a housing crisis. You've made that one of your top priorities. During the budget briefing the other day, you talked about how some cities and towns – are reluctant to offer affordable housing. You talked about the possibility of there being silent prejudice. So what can be done if some towns simply say, you know, I don't want it in my backyard? Well, we would hope that uh,
1: in this budget we have some incentives that would help hopefully they would be a little bit more supportive. But ultimately, I I think there has to be, if we cannot achieve this through incentives and education, then I think there has to be some measures of maybe possibly withholding state aid or limiting or capping it. Because what ends up happening is you have communities with large lot requirements, one acre, two acre, three acres, can easily accommodate three, four, five houses. And we have one house in some communities. We have a housing crisis. There are problems that need to be addressed. And it, I think it's not any one particular city or town's burden. I think it should be shared by everybody in the state. We're, we're pricing out more and more people from affordable housing and we're hurting our economy because if we don't have a good housing
0: stock, good places for people to live, companies will not come here. The House Finance Committee budget would boost the threshold for taxing Paycheck Protection um, Program loans from 150000 to 250000 But Rhode Island could still end up as one of the only states to tax both forgiven PPP loans and full unemployment benefits. How do you defend those decisions when you've had so much federal money at your at- – at your disposal. So two things. First of all, the unemployment, let's let's
1: talk about that because that's a very interesting concept. Uh, you have people um, on the lower economic scale in Rhode Island who worked through the pandemic. The frontline workers, the people who went to the fast food restaurants, they worked, they worked very hard. They didn't get any uh, unemployment checks. They didn't get any unemployment bonuses. They went to work, they risked their health in doing so, and they worked hard and they made their pay, and they pay taxes on it. And then you have some people, through no fault of their own, stayed home. And those people didn't work, and they stayed home, and they got an unemployment check, as they should have, but they also got a bonus on the unemployment check. And Rhode Island law has been very, very consistent since at least 12 or 13 years. We tax unemployment benefits. That doesn't. There's nothing we had to do. There's nothing we did. That's the way the law is. Everyone pays taxes on it. So I, I feel very comfortable about it. It's a fairness issue to me. It's an equity issue. And as far as PPP, we're not taxing the forgiveness of the loan. I just want to be clear. We're taxing the people who used the loan, as they should have, and created a profit for their business. So when they did that, they should pay a small fee to the state of Rhode Island. 93% of Rhode Island companies that received PPP loans will not ever have to worry about any kind of taxation. A top 7% who made a profit on those loans and some of those companies are very, very wealthy. God bless them. They're happy. I hope they prosper in Rhode Island. We're asking them to pay a small tax on
0: the state side of that if they made a profit. Representative William O'Brien's proposed a three-year moratorium on the expansion or creation of charter schools in Rhode Island. Governor McKee's vowed to veto it. Do you expect that bill to make it to his desk? And and what does the budget do to help traditional public schools that lose money when students go to charters? So we, uh, so first of all, I don't know. I don't expect that particular bill to pass because
1: I quite frankly don't think there's support in the House for that bill. There's a possibility that a slimmed down or different version for one charter school moratorium may pass. So there, there's in, in that bill, there were charter schools who were open and operating, and they expanded. And and they've already actually uh, enrolled students for for September's class. There also was the creation of a new school that hasn't been here in Rhode Island and is not coming until next year. Oh, okay. So that particular school, I believe it's called Excel. There seems to be a little bit more support for a moratorium on new charters rather than expanding. All right, so it'd be perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very difficult to pass a law that goes reaches backwards and does something in your essence overruling the Department of Education. But you asked the question. You said, "What have we've done in the budget?" So we've done a couple of things. We have a what we call a density formula, which would give the city of Providence approximately half a million dollars for the lost revenue. In addition to that, the city of Providence got a huge federal allocation, over $121 million. And also, there's been a significant amount of money from, from the CARES Act in, in the past, let alone what's coming, pumped right into the Department of Education, which, as you know, is now controlling and running the Providence school system. So at the end of the day, we're talking about education. And the moratorium that you, you mentioned is,
0: is a very, very close vote in the House. My colleague Dan McGowan wrote that the state Senate's poised to approve legislation that would grant driving privileges to undocumented immigrants. Do you support that bill and do you expect the House to pass it? I don't know uh, if the House
1: will take that up this year. It's coming in very, very late. There were several proposals that came in the last week or two, new proposals from West Warwick, from City of Providence, the uh, City of Central Falls. We're at the end of the General Assembly session. Those issues and the one you talked about are somewhat controversial. Those are some that I feel very strongly we should have public hearings and vetting on them. And uh, I don't know if you're gonna have a lot of time to do that. I'll wait to see what comes over from the Senate and what the form it is. I've heard different versions of it. I never like to prejudge anything. I like to listen to all the evidence and make a decision on the merits.
0: Representative Susan Donovan says this might be the year for a pay equity bill which aims to prevent employers from paying women less than men for comparable work. Senator Golden argues the bill is needed given the disproportionate impact the pandemic had on women in the workforce? What do you think? Is she right? So let's talk about those. So the pay equity bill that you talk about, and I know everybody
1: likes to use the version of male versus female, but it really is not. It's just people being paid equal pay for equal work. I do think that legislation will pass this year. I have worked extremely hard on that with Representative Donovan. I have met three and a half hours on Friday afternoon and into Friday evening on the bill with the advocates in the business community I met during Father's Day for another three-hour session as well. We are not in in a situation where I can declare victory yet, but we're very close and we're working hard. And I'll make a bold prediction that if the House passes uh, our bill this version of the, of the pay equity will become the model for across the country. I feel that strongly about the bill. It is uh, something that looks at the current Massachusetts model of pay equity and then kind of blends in the Oregon model. And I think it's a very fair proposal for the employee as well as the employer.
0: Finally, it's been a busy and at times challenging legislative session. What are you most looking forward to getting done in the final days, the home stretch here? And what what are your top priorities going into the rest of the year and the start of 2022?
1: Well, 2022, it's too early to tell you what my priorities are. I'm still working on 2021, Ed. But uh, clearly, there's uh, several priorities. Number one, I would really love to get a LIBOR bill done, uh, law enforcement's Bill of Rights. I think that's very important to be done. I'm still working very hard on that and pay equity, where my two focuses are, along with, as I said to you earlier, the most important thing we do is the budget.
0: Speaker Shikarchi, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Here are a few other stories you should check out this week from Globe, Rhode Island. The call to defund the police gained national attention following the murder of George Floyd. But some of Rhode Island's biggest police forces are actually looking to increase funding, and not a single department in the state has seen meaningful cuts. Brian Amaro brings us that report. My colleague, Dan McGowan, reports on proposed legislation aiming to grant driving privileges to undocumented immigrants in the state. And Alexa Gagas talks with two Brown students working to replace the iconic Red Solo Cup with the most sustainable alternative targeted at Gen Z consumers. Find all these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Ned Porter. Music by APM. Have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear? A story you think we should cover? Send us an email at rinews at And if you like the show please leave us a review on Apple podcast. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next Thursday.